We are Living by the Word Ministries, a nonprofit organization dedicated to one cause. That cause is the truth given in the Holy Bible, which we believe is the inerrant and infallible Word of God, conferred to man to live by. We let the Word of God be the final authority as to what is or is not true. We strongly feel that if we do not expose false doctrine, we only encourage it. This ministry is designed to challenge you from an apologetic point of view. 1 Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. This is Michael Tinsley. Please stay tuned while we arm you, the believer, to keep living by the word. It's the noble thing to do. Good evening and welcome to all of our listeners, wherever you may be, however you may be listening. Thank you for joining the Bible Information Brokers. My name is Brian Allen, and for the next two hours, we are here to answer your open, honest Bible questions. Daryl is ready to take your call, get you set up to get on air with your question. Uh, that number is toll-free. It's on our dime, one 888 talks one 888 5282557 let me give it to you again 188 LA talks 188582557 now if you heard something in church today if you heard something in a bible study uh, if you had any discussions say with jehovah witnesses mormons atheists muslims uh, word faith teachers uh, whomever that you have a question about Give us a call. That's why we're here. That's our platform. One triple eight LA Talks. One triple eight five two eight two five five seven. I say it all the time. What about uh, this one? What if you're reading your Bible and you have a question? That's why we're here. Give us a call. One triple eight LA Talks. One triple eight five two eight two five five seven. Like I said, it is toll free. It's on a dime, so don't hesitate to give us a call. As uh, we quite frequently say, the dumbest question is the one that is never asked. This show goes as you give us a call with your questions. That's what we're here for. Two hours of Bible questions and answers. Please, please, please do not wait till 15 minutes left in the show to give us a call. Uh, the number one triple eight la talks one triple eight five two eight two five five seven. We do have a lot of lines open right now. It is the beginning of our show, so take advantage of it. One triple eight la talks one triple eight five two eight two five five seven. I do want to introduce my good friend, Professor Craig Hawkins. Craig, how are you doing? Craig, are you there? I don't know if you could hear us or not, but let's see what we can do. Craig, uh, you're trying to get Craig on the line? Okay. Now can you hear me, Craig? I could hear you earlier, yeah. Okay, yeah. We could, uh, I can hear you, but you probably could hear me, but now everything sounds good. How are you doing, my friend? Doing well, Brian. Thank you. Great. Kind of recovered from your trip. I know it was a couple weeks ago you got back in. Yeah, it's not the same thing. Oh, jet lag. It's like, forget jet lag. That's really not an issue for me. It's going without sleep, period, just because when you're over there, you're so busy. Um, constantly <clears throat> meeting with people, kind of like, you know, while you're there, you want to take full advantage of it. And so you tend to push the schedule, you know, the envelope radically. So, and uh, then you come back, and you've been gone for two weeks, and, of course, stuff just piles up, <laughs> you know, work to take care of Brian. So it just, I mean, it just takes a while to try to catch back up. With everything, sure. Re reality sets in. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, love going, going but uh, I still have stuff that is ongoing at home. Uh, I hear that work needs to be done, and then when I come back, it's... A, that's like piled up so at any rate all right well i wasn't here last week but i'm sure you guys mentioned the fact and if you weren't here last week they uh, we have pictures uh craig uh, has uh, uh took some really good pictures from his trip uh you can go to our facebook page at bible uh bible information com, and you can see the pictures on there and so uh, if you didn't if you have not had a chance to take a look at them uh please do so uh, just go to, again, the Facebook page. Uh, it's uh, BibleInformationBrokers.com. All right, once again, let's get these phone lines lit up, you guys. one 888 la talks one 888 While we're doing that, um, Craig, you know, we, uh, you know, uh, we were talking about earlier, you mentioned the fact it is the anniversary. Was it 500-year anniversary? Yes. Regarding the Reformation. And, you know, what we can do is, uh, while we're getting these phone lines uh, um, uh, set up, you could talk a little bit about it. Some people don't know the history behind it, don't know what happened uh, with Martin Luther, and uh, uh, let, let the listening audience know you know, what's being celebrated for this five, uh, 500-year um, anniversary? Well, thanks, Brian, uh, to be sure. And, you know, Luther helped to bring it to a head. God used him. Uh, but, but clearly there were other people involved, and there were uh, leading lights before Luther. But, of course, in 1517, October 31st, uh, Luther nailed his 95 theses to the ch- door of the church at Wittenberg. And actually... That's not that scandalous. That's, that's, that was the bulletin board, at least for academics, and where they talk to each other. There's no Internet. There's no social media, or I should say the door is the social media. And, so, and it was done in Latin. It wasn't like this was done to just try to provoke some popular uprising or what have you. But, of course, people did indeed see it and actually had translated into German and with the printing press uh, printed up copies and spread it around like wildfire. Uh, so it comes to a head and... Uh, 1517, if you will, and things begin to roll really from there. But I do need to mention earlier on we have people like uh, John Huss, and we have uh, Wycliffe as well. Uh, and uh, so Wycliffe was a very early leading reformer who advocated for reforms. Huss as well. Of course, Huss gets burned at the stake. Uh, see what that got him. Uh, but at any rate, other people like Savonarola was an Italian reformer. A lot of people have never heard of him, but he actually was a well-known figure as well before Luther, and of course, we, obviously, many have heard of Wycliffe, and, and uh, I mentioned him in Tyndale, sorry, William Tyndale, uh, as well, another Bible translator, scholar, reformer. And then, of course, then you have Calvin and a whole host of folks coming right on the heels of Luther and uh, this fire igniting. And so, yeah, it's, just, it's vitally important. Uh, it, we would say that the issue of the time was... Uh, how is one saved? That was the issue. How is one made right or become right before a holy and righteous God? And Luther contended that it was because of justification by faith alone, through grace alone, indeed on the count of Christ alone, uh, that, yes, God gives us the ability to exercise faith, but that faith is from God, and there's no merit. It's not meritorious on our part. There's no brownie points for us, to put it crassly, but it is from first to last from faith, and that is a gift of God, again, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so really the issue, if I could say it this way, is the person and work of Christ 
It wasn't that they were disagreeing on the person of Christ, but of the work of Christ. What did he do? What was, and how was one saved? And so the, the issue of justification, the doctrine of justification, Luther referred to as the doctrine of the church. That was the issue, whether the church stands or falls. And then he eventually he was trying to bring reform. He wasn't trying to start a, a, a new group or denomination or what have you. Uh, but eventually he gets excommunicated. He gets kicked out because he will not back down on his stand. And he points out you know, corruptions or mistranslations from the Latin uh, Roman Catholics were basically using a Latin Bible, and of course the Bible was not written in Latin. It was translated into Latin from Hebrew, a smidgen of Aramaic here and there in the Old Testament, and then Greek in the New Testament. And Luther, especially through the influence of his one of his sidekicks, if you will, uh, one of his lieutenants, you could say, was uh, Philip Melanchthon. Melanchthon was a phenomenal Greek scholar, and with the help of Melanchthon and others, Luther realizes that there's real problems with the, the Latin translation and uh, wants to go back to the original languages. And, and the Reformation, if we could say this, is known for five things, and there's three subordinate doctrines that often don't get talked about uh, as they should, uh, but I want to hit the big five, which many people have heard of, not, not all, but certainly many, if not most, uh, many Christians. But I want to talk about three related doctrines to that as well in the time that we have and while we're setting up the phone calls. I don't know if you wanted to give the number again or not, Brian. Yeah, let me do this, you guys. Uh, it, it seems like we're having problems with with our uh, with our computer right now with uh, the call screener. Uh, not the call screener, but with the computer. Uh, so let me do this, you guys. Um, if you have a question right now, um, uh Here's an email address. You can uh, email us at questions at bibleinfobrokers.com, questions at bibleinfobrokers.com, or you can go to our website at bibleinfobrokers.com. Uh, I think I just said the other one was questions at bibleinfobrokers.com, or just go to our website, uh, bibleinfobrokers.com, and, and in there it'll be a section where it says uh, questions, and uh, type your question in there. Um, and so uh, let's do that right now until we can rectify this issue. Uh, apparently, people are trying to call in, but we're having problems with the phone lines, with the computer. So um, uh, let's, let's go from there. So, Craig, take it away again. And again, um, it's questions at BibleInfoBrokers.com or just go to the website, uh, BibleInfoBrokers.com and click on the link that says uh, questions and uh, type it in there and we'll get it. Okay, Craig, go ahead. Thank you. Yeah, sure, Brian. We'll do this for a while and then take some phone calls, assuming we get that fixed and, uh, and whatnot, a normal broadcast tonight. And, of course, we do know the World Series is going on tonight as well, so we, we get, I get that. <laughs> but uh, I would argue this is a little more important, as much as you and I like sports, Brian. We'd have to say this is a smidge more important. And you know what? Dodgers don't pay me one dime. But, <laughs> but and, yeah, Craig, a whole lot more important. Yeah, so, so let's look at the five solas and talk about what they mean, their significance, and the time we have, and what, how much we develop it will depend on just, uh, the phones and other factors, Brian. But, um, <coughs> excuse me, a little cough here, so I apologize. But, yeah, number one, of course, we'd have, uh, we'd have uh, sola de gloria, to God alone the glory. So God is to get the glory. Uh, this is, yeah, God does glorify, in some sense, human beings. We are glorified, and that is we will be perfected human beings. Uh, we don't become angels, uh, in spite of all the past TV shows in America. You know, you don't become an angel, but you, 
you can be a perfected, glorified human being, but to God, God gets the glory. Salvation is his work. He's the initiator of it. He's the one that sees it through. He's the one that gets the credit, if you will, uh, in all of life. And not because he's some ogre or he's some um, megalomaniac, but because he deserves it. He deserves the praise and the glory. He does the work. We've got to get this thing straight. You know, many people with religions today have this idea that they're the captains of their soul. They save themselves. They get the credit. They did the work. And that's just not the biblical view, to put it mildly. So, sola de gloria, to God alone, the glory. And the second one is solus Christus, to Christ alone, the glory. And that is, again, in salvation, it's the work of Christ. He does the work. We call it his passive and his active obedience. His active obedience is the life he lived, uh, doing everything right, never doing anything wrong, so that's active obedience, we say that. Uh, but passively, if you will, he allows himself to be crucified. He is killed, not just because people are ticked off at him. You have to wonder if Jesus is the milk toast, meek and mild little guy that people want to describe him as, how did he ever get crucified? How did he ever tick off so many people and the leaders at that to get himself crucified? Uh, but Christ was a controversial figure indeed, and uh, really uh, spelled out explicitly what he was teaching, who he was, who claimed to be the Son of God, God the Son, that is, having the same nature as God the Father. We see that in John 5, 17, 18, John 8, 24, John 8, 58, John 10, 30 through 4, uh, chapter 10, verses 30 through about 40, uh, John 20, uh, 28, Brian, as you well know, and so on and so forth. Christ claims to be God and to alone be the way of salvation. Um, so he says, again, uh, uh, no one comes in the Father but through him. Uh, so at any rate, uh, as he said again in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father but by me. So Christ alone gets the glory. So this takes away any glory uh, in uh, somehow participatory sense of for human beings. And, and these are big issues. These are certainly the overarching issues here. And then there's three doctrines that fall out from this, but these are called the solas. Now, sola can mean literally own or alone or only, or it means the primary. And the next one's a little different. We have to be careful. It's sola scriptura. Sola scriptura meant the ultimate authority is not popes or councils. By the way, which pope? There's not just even the Roman Catholic popes. There were the term papas. Latin was used for uh, the bishop at Antioch, for example, at Jerusalem, at Constantinople, Byzantium, if you will, and Alexandria. There are five called papal sees in the early church, five of them, and they all were called papas, pope. The Roman Catholic was simply one among four, and those were just five among many other bishops in the church, uh, what's called a papal see, a district, if, if you will, uh, uh, an area that they had authority over. But to the point, Brian, uh, the ultimate authority for Luther and others was the Scripture, the Word of God. Uh, Roman Catholicism wants to claim that they gave us the Scriptures. Luther's like, John the the Baptist recognized Jesus. Was he greater than Jesus? Was he equal to Jesus? Because John recognized Jesus. He's not on par with Jesus. He's not, let alone, above Jesus. So the Church, not just Rome, the Church Universal recognized Scripture. But we don't get brownie points for that because the Spirit of God living within us in the first place that helps us to recognize the Scripture, which he is the ultimate author of. So in this debate, Brian, they're saying tradition has a place, but it's not on par with, let alone above Scripture. Councils are important, but they're not on par with, let alone above Scripture. 
And we could add, for that matter, reason, experience, anything else people want to throw in there, including the kitchen sink. The Word of God, humanly speaking, is the final authority and source of that teaching definitively, not some pope or other so-called magistrate or uh, magisterium teaching authority, teaching office, or what have you. Indeed, those teaching offices only derive their authority from Scripture in the first place. But, Brian, a real key point here, since I'm talking quite a bit. And, and Craig, let me jump in real quick. Yeah. Uh, li- to our listening audience, uh, the lines are uh, back up. The uh, computer's working fine. So uh, please give us a call with your questions, one la talks Again, one 528 2557. All right, 1-888-LA Talks, 1-888-528-2557. I encourage you to call now. Uh, we have open lines, so let's take advantage of it. Go ahead, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Brian. So we'll do some teaching on this and then get into the phone calls. Uh, it's, but again, for the 500th anniversary, kind of important. Most of us probably won't be around for the 1,000th anniversary, should the Lord theory. Um, so we have three big solos so far. There's five. Again, uh, sola de gloria, to God alone the glory. These are all in Latin, of course. Uh, Solus Christus, Christ alone. Uh, and, and then number three, uh, sola scriptura, the source. There was a, uh, there was a, 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 a call, if you will. There was a, a chant, in, not in a cultic sense, but in a good sense. There was a cry for authority, the sources. And, and ad fontes is probably the best pronunciation of it today. Ad fontes, A-D. And then F-O-N-T-E-S, ad fontes, is to the sources. What, what's the source? What's the authority? And again, so while, while Luther and them saw a place, you know, for tradition, for councils, they were not on par with, let alone above Scripture. As Luther says, of course, they have been known to err and contradict. And even Roman Catholicism at one time had three popes at one time. And so you're like, which one? Uh, not even counting Antioch or Alexandria or Constantinople, Byzantium, Jerusalem, or I think I mentioned Alexandria. Yeah, so at any rate, right, Brian, so that's a key issue. And so their point was, this isn't just a debate over the substance of the issue, what's called, we have the material principle and the formal principle. It's not just we disagree on what is the gospel, but it's also what is the source of authority. And the Pope at the time was claiming it was him, basically, and Luther's like, uh, nice try, no. Um, so at any rate, number four, four and five, we can vary, if you will. One doesn't have to come fourth or one-fifth, if you will. I mean, one will, but, I mean, you can do it either way. But um, sola fide, F-I-D-E, fide is the Latin word for faith, uh, solely by faith. Again, by grace alone, through faith alone, on the account of Christ alone. And even that faith, as we're told in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, is that faith itself is the gift of God. Even that is given to us the ability to appropriate, to comprehend, apprehend, and to appropriate the gospel is all a gift from God. He does all the work from first to last. It's faith, and it is God who grants us that faith. And faith isn't some type of virtuous or meritorious act on our part. It is how we appropriate what is true, what does save us. We call this in both logic or causality, and in Greek, and the language is called the instrumental cause. What's the instrumental cause? In other words, God forbid, Brian, you're in the sea, you're drowning, and they throw you a life preserver, or they lower a basket, or what have you, and put you in it. Uh, those things don't strictly save you, but they're the instrument, they're the means, if you will, a part of it, by how you're saved, delivered from a, a sure death, you know, and the ocean, if you will, by yourself. Um, so instrumental cause, 
faith is how we appropriate what does save us. It's not faith that saves us, but it's God who saves through faith. In other words, it's Christ who saves through faith. Faith is how we appropriate the work of Christ. Uh, can I say it this way? Always two key issues. Always two key issues. Think of a coin. A coin has an obverse. That's a fancy way of saying the front. But that's how you say it in numismatics, this, you know, study of coins and whatnot. You have the obverse and the reverse. And so if I w- could say it this way, the two key central issues are the person of Christ, who is he, and the work of Christ, the person and work of Christ. Those are the two quintessential issues that the Church has said, we'd argue the Bible tells us, are the issues of eternity, of where one will abide for eternity. Uh, who, what do you think of Christ? Who is he? And what did he do? What did he accomplish? And, of course, the, uh, the Protestant view would be that uh, he is the Son of God, God the Son. In that case, Roman Catholicism agreed with that at the time completely. Uh, but the debate is just what exactly did Christ do? How complete was the sacrifice? And the Protestants are going to say it's complete, it's toto, if you will, what he's done for us. And then lastly, of the five solas, Brian, of course, adding ad fontes to the source, right, to the sources. Um, the last one would be sola gratia. It's by grace alone. And grace isn't just unmerited favor, it's the kindness of God. Hottest or catis, variously pronounced in modern or classical Greek, either hottest or catis, would be basically the, the, the kindness, the goodness of, of God by which we see his mercy. Mercy is the manifest, uh, uh, tangible, objective, demonstrative kindness of God that is a manifestation of his grace towards us. Grace isn't a stuff. You don't go to the so-called sacraments, which they would claim there's seven, that is Rome, and get grace and accrue that until you get enough so you know you'll, you'll be saved and not have to go to purgatory or go directly to heaven. That's few, they would say, very few people. Uh, we would argue, no, because of the work of Christ, one goes directly to heaven if they've trusted in him as their Lord and Savior upon their death. But to the point again, Brian, so grace isn't a stuff, it's not something you accrue, it is the attitude, it is the frame of mind of God towards us, towards sinners, towards fallen human beings. Uh, he shows his grace to us, and then we appropriate that grace through faith as manifested in God's mercy, his tangible work in the, through Christ, his passive and active obedience, and through that we're saved. This can get really convol- uh, really difficult, this debate, but it's really simple, Brian. It is trusting in Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and him alone, that he paid in full uh, the penalty. He, he alone paid the full price for our salvation. And salvation isn't some religious, weird, mystical, eebie-jeebie word. Salvation in Hebrew and Greek means to deliver. Think of this, if you need to be delivered from these fires that ravage people and cost people their lives, Brian Wright, or their homes, real or personal property. So you think of uh, a fire or a famine, pestilence, disease, if you will, to be delivered from that. Uh, from a flash flood, if you're stranded in the middle of, of, a, of, a, of a you know a creek that's risen to do a flash flood, uh, that's 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 salvation. That's being delivered. So Christ delivers us. Those are the five solas. And just quickly, Brian, and I know we're going to get some phone calls here. There are three related doctrines. There's many more, but there's other three big ones that often don't get talked about, but should, because by these five solas and by these three subordinate doctrines that derive from these come out of these doctrines. This didn't just revolutionize the church. It didn't. It revolutionized society in the Western world. Many historians have said, "Look, uh, they've talked about the Protestant worth ethic, and they've talked about the radical transformation of society, of culture, of legal institutions." If you read a guy named Harold Berman, his classic of 
uh, who taught at year, for years at Harvard University and the law school, and he has a book called Law and Revolution. Actually, there's two, uh, three volumes. Um, but Law and Revolution talks about how the, you can't understand the legal system in the West without understanding the Judeo-Christian perspective and what that brought to the table. And so, Brian, quickly, these three are, in any order, they would be the priesthood of all believers. And, Brian, this idea is that we all can approach God. We don't need a priest. We don't need a middleman. Can I say it that way crassly? We don't need someone who has to go before us. Yeah, you know, people can intercede for us. And that's, you know, I don't mind people pray for me, but I don't need a priest. Uh, I am a priest. Uh, Revelation 1 6, uh, Peter 2 9. Uh, we are kings and priests unto God. Not just we choose somebody to be, we are before the Lord through Christ and his work. What this really goes at, Brian, is that we're all equal before God. None of us are better or superior. Yeah, people have different positions in the church, yes, like they do in the military. But nobody's inherently better than anybody else. And so we can go to God directly ourselves. We can come boldly under the throne of grace and receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need because we have all been called kings and priests. And by the way, also related to this is the idea that everybody needs an education. Uh, the public school system did not start through the Enlightenment, contrary to what has been said and taught by some. Luther's in before the earliest person from the Enlightenment or anybody else uh, even begins to talk about that. They're already establishing public schools. Luther's in print in 1523, talking about public schools and the need for the ability for children to be able to read, everybody to be able to read, and so on and so forth. So, the, again, this had radical theological implications, Brian, but, but socially across the board, including public education and in government, as we'll see in a moment. So the priesthood of all believers, not just somebody who's, you know, ordained as a priest, in quotes, if you will. Another one, Brian, was really the toning down, not the really uh, uh, abolishing, but the tamping down of this sacred-secular distinction. And that is all of life is sacred. Everything belongs to God. So Luther said if you made shoes, if you were a cobbler and you did it well, you, 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 did it, uh, you, know, you didn't try to rip anybody off. You made a quality pair of shoes and sold them at a fair price. That was a ministry. That was to the glory of God. It's not just when I go teach Sunday school or, or otherwise that I'm doing ministry, but I minister to God even in my avocation, we say, my vocation, uh, by what I do. Um, and so it, it, the sacred-secular, this also helped abolish these uh, or tone down these ecclesiastical or church courts, Brian. It's one thing if, it, if you want to talk about the Trinity and someone who denies that or the deity of Jesus, but if a priest was accused of, uh, of, of, of fraud or embezzlement, they didn't just go to some ecclesiastical court. They were delivered over to the secular court. Luther was completely fine with that and said, look, you know what, you, the secular government, needs to hold us accountable. <laughs> we'll help hold you accountable as well, but uh, you're ordained by God as well as we are. So the sacred-secular distinction is radically diminished. And lastly, it may not sound like a great doctrine, but it really is important. Just quickly here, this last point, Brian. It's called total depravity. Now, a lot of people say, oh, wow, that's lovely. I love that one. Yeah, I'm totally depraved. And in this, it doesn't mean that you've committed every sin in the book, although given enough time, we probably all would commit every single one of them. We live long enough. But it's the idea that whatever it means to be human, every aspect, every component, every constituent, every thing that makes us a uh, human has been radically marred by sin. So our emotions, our intellect, our will of volition has all been radically damaged by sin. 
And again, you say, well, that's pretty pessimistic. That's pretty, um, you know, depressing, if you will. But, Brian, the upside of it was this. This is where we developed the idea, even in government, of checks and balances. For example, in America, of having a judiciary and an executive and judicial branch of government. We realized that nobody should have unfettered power other than God himself. All of us will eventually abuse it. We all need checks and balances. So in the church, Brian, in the courts, in the and, and, the, and policing, uh, every area, every sphere of life, there should be checks and balances. There should be remedy, if you will. There should be recourse to correct wrongs. You don't just give government or the police or the military or any government official unfettered power. That's just a recipe for disaster. And that includes the church, by the way. Uh, the church, even in the church, there's no one who has absolute authority other than God. All of us, our authority is checked by the Word of God. And, Brian, I just want to end this, my talk on um, the last point here. I know I've gone long on this, but I think it's so important as we celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Brian, is, is that uh, I am a Protestant not just because Mommy and Daddy took me to a Protestant church or something. I am a Protestant by choice. As I've studied this over the years, I have reaffirmed this as chosen this as my... The, view, I believe, is the biblical view, with all due respect to others. And that is, Brian, and, and sometimes I get a little weary of this celebrity worship stuff, hero worship in the church. It's not that we shouldn't honor pastors and we shouldn't appreciate what they do and often the very difficult um, ministry that they have, but no pastor's word, no pastor's teaching. I don't care who they are. Their teaching never is equal to the Word of God. Their teaching, our teaching, included, of course, as we say, should be compared by the Word of God. If it does not measure up, then throw it out. It, it's got to measure up to the Word of God. There is a standard, and we're not the standard. We are always constantly telling people to look at the gold standard, if you will, the Word of God. And so I just get leery of uh, even our many Protestant brothers and sisters who are always quoting Pastor So-and-so. And not just quoting them, but as if somehow their word is like authoritative in some type of magisterial sense, uh, like they're a, p a Protestant pope or something, and as if their view is definitive. And it's not. If you can't justify it from the word of God, if it doesn't fly from the word of God, it doesn't fly. And so when somebody tells me, Pastor so-and-so or a theologian so-and-so believes this, I don't care unless I can see it from the word of God, unless you can show me from the word of God. The word of God is the standard. That's that is the hallmark of Protestantism, sola scriptura, one more time. Back to the source of authority, the Bible, the Word of God, which is, the, you know, indeed the very words of God himself. And actually, Hank, our dear friend, had a great question last week. I'd love to return to you tonight later on if we have time. But, Brian, that's authority. So that's why people will notice, look, you and I studied philosophy and history and cultural studies and blah, 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 blah. So what? Yeah, we studied those things. But, but the final authority for us, and the one we constantly come back to, just like Christ himself and his, his temptation by the devil and Luke 4 and Matthew 4 is gag raptize, you know, Brian, in the perfect tense in Greek. It is written, if, if you will, literally, it was written, it is written, it stands written forever. If God has spoken, if he said something definitively in his word, that is the end of the discussion. That's the final source of authority. Like in America, we talk about the so-called Supreme Court, and that's the final highest court, humanly speaking, in America that one can appeal to. Well, beyond and above that, if you will, for the Christian, there is the Word of God, which is the standard. And we believe 
I would say, and in finishing Brian, there's two things in this life that are eternal, two things, and maybe only two things, if you will, and that are people, those are people, Brian, that's why we care so much about people and are passionate about these issues, and the Word of God. And the Word of God is what we are to conform, indeed, to let it transform us and to conform our views to God's Word and not vice versa. That's what the Protestant Reformation, there's more, to be sure, but it's not, nothing less than what we just talked about. Amen. Thank you so much for that, Professor. Hope everyone got a little lesson in what the Reformation was all about and what happened. And uh, so if not, you can always uh, go to our website and listen to it on our, uh, in our archived. But right now we are going to get to the, um, the questions. I'm going to give you the toll-free number, one triple eight la talks one triple eight five two eight two five five seven. I want to thank you guys that uh, emailed us your questions. We're going to get to those, uh, but the phone lines are working now. The computers are working, so we are going to uh, go from that point on. Uh, let's go to Mike. Mike, I can't understand what city you're in, but you're on the line. How you doing, Mike? Hi, pretty good. Um I, I'm in Simi Valley. Oh, okay. Very good. Your question for this evening, uh, Mike. Okay, so my question is um, the genealogy of Jesus, like the ones in Matthew and ones in Luke. So last week at Bible study, you know, um, one of the guys brought it up. We're reading this book, on uh, Jesus Unmasked, and he talks about the genealogy. And then so one of the guys in the Bible study, he, he said, he you know, he Googled it, and he said that Luke, Luke's, um, uh, genealogy is the one of, of Mary, and then, but they make a mistake or something, you know, or something, and that's why it doesn't say Mary. And I, I, I you know, I try, I started to argue because, like, you know, I don't think there's any mistakes in the Bible. I, yeah, I do think it's infallible. And so, I, you know, I looked, you know, I looked at it myself, and I, I thought I had seen, I thought I had read before. Like where, where you know one of them does show which one is Mary's genealogy, which one is Joseph's, but yeah. I, I is that my question is which which one is um, is is Mary's if there is, and then wh- why doesn't it or or could you show me where you know where it shows it that it is right. Mary? Okay, Greg. Yeah, I mean, uh, your friend uh, actually had some good things to say. He just used the wrong term. There's no mistake. He just doesn't understand the culture. We, we, we as Westerners, we're just bizarre in the 21st century. We have this idea that we're the only ones that know anything, and if, if we don't understand it, it must not be true. And what's true is that that's nonsense. It is Often people don't have the historical background and know the cultural context of how uh, ancients did things or said things, and so we assume, oh, it's a mistake. And nothing could be further from the truth. So having said that, Mike, let me go through now and try to explicate what I just said. So yeah, the two main genealogies, right? Matthew 1 and Luke chapter 3. And really, they're almost exactly the same, but there is a significant difference because one is the one of Mary and one is the one of Joseph, okay? And and there's a reason they're different because technically... While, while through Joseph, Jesus could inherit, the, in one sense, the right to the throne of David, uh, there was a, a curse put on a guy named Jeconiah, or Jehoiachin, same guy. Uh, it's called by two different names, but the same person. 
And it was said of his descendants up until the 10th generation, none of them would be allowed to sit on the throne of his father David. And so if Jesus had literally been a biological descendant of a biological descendant of Joseph, he could have not been the Messiah. He could have not, uh, he could have not um, uh, received the, the throne, the, king, the kingship um, um, from David, okay? So that's one issue. So basically what you see is, and I'll show you and I'll tell you what's going on here, and this is called, it's a form of what's called Leverite marriage. Um, uh, I'm just trying to get to here. So, so yeah, notice one starts back from, if you will, uh, from Abraham and works its way up, and the other one does the reverse order. So, so notice in Matthew you start out with Abraham, right, of Isaac and so on and so forth. And, and notice... Um, I'm trying to find the, the key break here. Notice, and uh, here we go. Uh, we see the difference in verse 5. It talks about Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Anyway, so one goes to Solomon, and one goes to another son, the other one in Luke. And here's why. Here's what the deal is. So let me just rephrase this. So Matthew is indeed the genealogy of Joseph. But because of the curse put on Jehoiachin or Jeconiah, you'll find that in verse 111 um, uh, of uh of Matthew, and you, if you want the Old Testament reference, let me give you that. That would be found, for example, in Jeremiah 22, verses about 24 through 30. So the, the curse upon him, Jeconiah, Jehoiachin, is Jeremiah 22, verse 24 through 30, and you see that he is mentioned by name in verse 11 of chapter 1 of David, excuse me, of, sorry, of Joseph's lineage. On the other hand, Jesus also receives the right, and he gets it biologically, not just the right in an abstract sense, but biologically through Mary, because Mary also, her lineage also comes from David, but doesn't go through Solomon, but another son of David. Okay? And here's how we know this. You might say, well, where does it say Mary? Well, part of this, you just have to know some background. And, and here's the key point here. Notice in verse 23. Now, I'm back in Luke chapter 3, Mike, if you're still with me. Okay. In yes, verse 23, it says, Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old, and he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought of Joseph. Now, notice this here. Now, here we go. Here's the switch. The son of Heli, the son of Matt, right? The son of Levi. Mm -hmm. But here's the point. Heli was actually not the biological father of Joseph, but he was oh. adopted. Heli is the father of Mary, but Mary oh. had no other brothers, and she's the oldest daughter, minimally the oldest daughter, and so she gets the inheritance, but it can't be given to her directly. So when she married, her husband would be officially adopted by Heli, and then so that then the inheritance and whatnot would be transferred to the son-in-law. He's now the son-in-law is technically seen as literally the son in this case of Heli. So here's what we know: Heli, we know from the the records that we have still have is that Heli is the father of Mary. We know he's not the father of, of Joseph. And so this is what's going on. It's a Levite marriage because Mary does not have a brother who would have received the right of kingship, if you will, through David. And so yeah. these are two different, they are two different lineages going through two different sons of David, but ending up at the same place. Yeah. Wow. I, I, now I'm going to have to show that at Bible study tomorrow night. Uh, I like that. It's really good stuff. 
Yeah, and so basically, this is the, uh, part of my background is history, and I love history, and so I just happen to know this by having studied this. So that's what it is. So one more time, this is a form of Leverite marriage. Uh, Mary can't receive the inheritance from her father, Heli, H-E-L-I. He has, she has to, he has to give that to a son. That's just the culture. And so what they would do is they would adopt the oldest daughter. Her husband would be adopted by that gal's father. He would officially become a son, and he, that adopted son, technically we'd say son-in-law, now becomes the heir. And then, so Jesus gets it through him, and so that's how we know this is actually Mary's lineage in Luke 3 as opposed to Joseph's actual lineage in Matthew 1. But here's the key point one more time. But either way, uh, not, not in the abstract, there's another term, and I'm just not getting my mind around it right now, uh, but both biologically through Mary and otherwise Jesus has the right to the throne of David. And by the way, one more time, if he was a biological heir of of Joseph, and he's not. But if he was, he would could not be the Messiah because of the curse that was on through ten generations from Jack and I or Jehoiachin, and that would have still affected Jesus. He could not receive the inheritance of his father David, if you will. And by father, the term is used in Hebrew. You know, the great 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 grandfather, still called the father of, if you will. And so Jesus, in other words, that curse on Jehoiachin does not apply to Jesus. He still has the right to the throne through Jesse. Uh, excuse me, through through um, well, yeah, through uh, through Joseph, but he gets it strictly speaking from Mary uh, through her, uh, her lineage. Yeah, yeah, and and because he really, yeah, he Joseph, well, he, I, I mean, he came from um, from heaven and from really from the Holy Spirit. Right, so. Well, it's the Spirit of God, and he doesn't, and, and let's be very clear here, he, he doesn't have sexual relations with Mary, but God's able to con, can have a baby conceived without, you know, Adam and Eve, how were Adam and Eve made? He's able to make them, so we shouldn't think of some crass, like, sexual relation between God, the Holy Spirit, or anybody else in the Godhead, and Mary, but, yeah, the Holy Spirit enables her to conceive and have a child, so, and if you will, exactly, Jesus, his father... Well, biologically, he doesn't have a human father, we would say. Yeah. Okay? All right. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Okay, thank Mike. You thank you so much. Yeah. God bless Thanks, you. Mike. Okay. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Bible Information Brokers. My name is Brian Allen with Professor Craig Hawkins. Uh, we have some open lines. Let's get them filled up. one 888 talks one 888 Once again, one 888 talks one 888 Five two eight two five five seven. You can also email us at questions at bibleinfobrokers.com. Questions at bibleinfobrokers.com. Uh, again, this show goes as uh, you guys call in. one 888 talks one 888 We're going to go to Loretta in Buena Park. Loretta, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Oh, I, I'm okay. I, I called in because I w- wanted to know if you have any ideas on what else I should do about these people. There's several people that constantly harassing and taunting and threatening my rights, threatening to harm my sons just because I exposed their darkness. And I already moved out of one city, moved out of Midway City, and I'm in Buena Park just to get away from them. I had three years of their harassment over there. And now I'm in Winter Park since June, and they started their taunting and terrorizing, terrorizing me over here, threatening to harm my sons that my adult sons live in 
uh, Anaheim, so I'm like constantly worried and like, got to check on them or tell my sister to check on them. It's all about retaliation. They they won't leave me alone, and, and a lot of them claim to be Christians, go to a Christian church, yet they uh, during the week they're harassing me, getting people to terrorize me, and then if I uh, report them, they twist things around and accuse me of needing help. Uh, yeah, I need help with the police to arrest them. But they're trying to use a mental health issue against me. They uh, use every trick in the book uh, as retaliation. They just won't leave me alone. And now they're threatening my civil rights and, again, uh, threatening uh, barbarian and death threats against my son as retaliation. And it was all about uh, I expose their darkness, their criminal behavior, and, you know, disturbance of the peace, uh, possible uh, domestic violence, because nope. it was just on and on. And okay. so now they won't leave me alone. Uh, well, have you, uh, have you con- uh, you know, Loretta, I mean, it's, uh, I guess it sounds more like a, a legal issue. Um, obviously, you want to be in prayer always, but have you contacted the police or, any, or anything like that? Yeah, but that's kind of hard because actually, since I've complained about one of the police officers, uh, it, you know, they all stand up for each other. So once I complained about one of the police officers, now they're kind of like my enemies. They won't listen. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll ignore my complaints. And, you know, so it just goes on and on. Like you were talking about authority and God puts people in authority, but they're not supposed to abuse their authority. You were talking about checks and balances. Uh, that needs to be done even with uh, police and stuff like that. But it's like the police are abusing their authority, too, just because I complained about one or two of their employees. So it's like, you know, I mean, I turned everything right. over to God and told God, that's it. Just pour your wrath on all these people because enough is enough. You know, I've, I've moved several times. It's right. No. To live in. I make the effort of moving to live in peace. Right. And then I, they find out where I live and start it all over again. Well, so. um, Greg, I mean, I, I can only, you know, I can't think, you know, I think that, you know, every police officer can't be a bad one, okay? Yeah, I know. There's got to be some good and ones so, out there. And uh, so, but I, I, Craig, your thoughts? Well, this is a matter that's out of our, we, we can't yeah. these matters. It, um, what I want to encourage you to do is, Hopefully you're attending a good Bible teaching, believing church in your area where you live now, and I would encourage you to talk to the leaders there and ask for their help and assistance in these matters. So we're not trying to make light of it. We're uh, not appreciate what you're referring to at all. But we can't. I mean, this is uh, out of our area of uh, yeah. ability to help you. So we really want to encourage you. This is the vital importance of. Not just, of course, local law enforcement, but this is the air of, of, of being involved in a, in a, a fellowship and a, a community of believers and bringing our issues and concerns and getting help and whatnot that we need uh, from leadership and from fellow Christians. Not just leadership, but from fellow Christians. This is where the body of Christ comes together to help one another. And so that's why we're really I'm hoping, number one, you're already involved in and tied in the city you're living in now or the area, some work fairly close to a, a fellowship, a good Bible teaching, believing church. 
and then asking the leadership and other believers, which I'm hoping you're having fellowship on a regular basis, uh, for assistance in this matter. And they're the ones that could, would be able to help you. Uh, uh, we're not trying to be dismissive, but... Well, right, I, I, I understand. Our... I just thought yeah. maybe you guys can pray about it or make a suggestion, but... Well, um, yeah, Brian would be happy yeah. to pray for have Brian would pray for you, absolutely. And uh, But my suggestion is what I just said, is that this is the importance of a local fellowship, of a local church, not the local church, Witness Lee, but of a, a local fellowship in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, this is where this is vital. So, Brian, would you mind praying for our sister? And, um, no problem. And, uh, praying that she'll get the assistance. And, again, you really need to address this to always we have whatever concerns we have, we want to bring that to leadership and to fellow Christians and let them assist us in these types of matters. Uh, right. I did that because I know yeah. one right. of the ladies actually goes to a Christian church over there in Huntington, and whenever I reported it to them, then more trouble comes back. So it's like, you know, the Bible says first you tell the elders of the church, and then if that doesn't work. So, you know, I kind of tried that. Right, but you need you know. but it needs to be a church closer to where you actually live. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying you have to actually go to a... I know people who drive to, you know, through several cities or whatever, but it, ideally in something like this, you want somebody who actually lives in the community where you live who can assist you in the matters that directly impact you right where you live. That's where you're going to get the most help. So somebody uh, in other right, right, what right. they yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't really... Uh, I just almost quit going to church altogether because, you know... Well, yeah, I, yeah, we don't want to hang do out with Christians, and then that's how they behave. I thought, well, well why bother going to church? Well, you all get, you know. Let, let's pray. Let's pray, Loretta, because all Christians are not like that. Okay, you know, I'm not saying all Christians are angels, but there are Christians. Uh, there, there are a lot of Christians that have loving hearts and and will help. Oh, oh I know. There's good and bad everywhere. Okay. It's the bad so. Ones. The, Encourage me from even going to church. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just lift Loretta up to you, Lord, at the situations he's going through with uh, the harassment and uh, things that are going on um, uh, with her and, 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 and uh, individuals that's uh, wreaking havoc in her life, Lord. And I just um, I pray for her. I, I pray that you give her wisdom. I pray, Lord, that you find a fellowship for her where um, she can uh, uh, take her take her issues and uh, share them with uh, other believers, Lord, that uh, do have uh, the hearts that we know that uh, Christians have um, uh, insofar as um, giving her help and guidance. And uh, so, Lord, we lift her up to you. Bring, bring her to a place, Lord, where she can get help, where she can uh, get people that really do care and can, can uh, give her advice and uh, information and, uh, of what to do and uh, on handling this issue with the constant harassment that she's having. Lord, watch over her, bless her, and um, uh, uh, and give her guidance and uh, open her heart, Lord, and uh, and and open the doors that need to be open and close the doors that need to be closed. Lord, we uh, lift her up to you and uh, for your glory in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, we got to run. God bless you. Oh, thank okay, you so thank much. Thank you so much. Sir. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah. All right, we got a couple minutes for the top of the hour. Um, let's uh, let me give you the phone number 188-LA-TALKS 188-528-2557 188-LA-TALKS 188-528-2557. We have some open lines. Let's take advantage of it. Um, 
I see you, Martha. I see you, Dan. Please hang on. We're going to get to your calls. We're probably going to get to them on the other side of the break. Uh, if you do have a question you want to email us, you can email us at um, questions at BibleInfoBrokers.com, questions at BibleInfoBrokers.com. Um, Greg, we have a call. Let's um, in a few minutes before the break, um, we have a um, an email from John. Uh, it's probably going to take some time, but let's get it out on the table, and then we can get it started. And then at the end of the break, um, uh, we can uh, get to it after we take care of some other stuff as well. Uh, but John says, "Does does God desire all men, without exception, to be saved?" Okay, and we've heard this one before. This comes from the passage in First Timothy. I heard someone say, according to the context, that God desires all kinds of people to be saved and not necessarily all men without exception. I look forward to uh, your take. Thanks. And that comes from John. So, Craig, we got about uh, two and a half minutes before the break. You want to start on that? and then uh, Not really, because that's too involved. Yeah, I mean... It's a big debate. Basically, whether you're Calvinistic or not will be how do you understand that passage. I mean, perhaps I can do it pretty quickly. I can give it a shot. Um, well, and I'm just saying we can we can continue it after the break. Um, right, but for continuity's sake. But at any rate, so they're going to interpret the passage. We're talking about First Timothy chapter two and saying that it's not literally all people. That's not God's goal. And, and the point is, Calvinism would say that. God, it's only the elect that it's his will for them to be saved. And so if a person's not the elect, uh, then they do not receive the effectual calling. To put it bluntly, Christ didn't die for them. So they not only cannot, they will not be saved because Christ did not die for them. It was not God's purpose. It was not God's goal. Christ only dies for the elect. And so the all there would be people from all categories, from the rich and the wise and the wealthy to the poor, from Asia to, to the Middle East to the Far East or otherwise, uh, you know, from all walks of life, all trades, all professions, if you will. That's the all people, they would say. And uh, that's not my understanding of this passage. My understanding of this passage would be that literally it's referring to all people and not just the elect. But that this really has to do with whether you hold to a Calvinistic understanding of this passage or not. So simply put, it's the all is either all types of people if you will, or literally that everyone, could, in some sense, could be saved. Christ died for them or not. Gotcha. All right. Well, uh, John, I hope that helped you out. And, um, again, there are uh, there are, are godly Christians that are going to uh, yeah. agree and disagree uh, and uh, have their own interpretation. Uh, it's not a salvific issue, so praise God for that. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are coming up to the top of the hour break. Uh, Martha, uh, don't go anywhere. Dan, don't go anywhere. We're going to get your call. call. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have uh, some open lines, one la talks one 528 one la talks one 528 2557. You hear the music. That means we are coming up to the top of the hour break. Don't go anywhere. Or we will be back in just a few minutes. 